Hello and welcome to another Positive Podcast. Today is episode 33, and I'm very excited to share with you another fascinating, interesting podcast episode. Thank you so much to all of my listeners who have been sending in messages and emails through my website or Instagram sharing how much you've gained and how much you've learned from this podcast. It truly means a lot. If you're curious to hear some information on how to set up a free consultation with me for positive coaching, you can reach out through my website, apositivecoach.com. So as you all know, I'm constantly on the lookout for interesting people to interview and to learn about different modalities of healing and growth and therapy. And in today's episode, I share a lot of information on the topic of EMDR. I'm sure you've all heard the buzzword trauma, and specifically I'm referring to trauma therapy. And trauma therapy has been quite popular now for some time. And one of the first modalities of trauma therapy has been EMDR. I've heard a lot about EMDR, but I knew very little about what it actually entailed. And I was curious to hear more. So I did some research to find the right person to share and educate um, myself as well as my listeners with as much information as possible about what EMDR actually is and how it works, etc. So I'm really grateful that I was introduced to Mrs. Sharon Saul. Not only is she an EMDR therapist, but she actually trains EMDR therapists as well. So um, this episode begins where I'm interviewing two actual clients who share their personal experiences with EMDR. And they share what they gained from it, the benefits, their, how they came to it. And I think you might find that to be an interesting way to begin hearing about this topic. And then after that, I continue with a deep dive into what EMDR actually is with Mrs. Um, Sharon Saul. So if you're looking to educate yourself and learn more about another fascinating option out there, this episode is for you. So sit back relax, and be prepared to grow. Hi, my name is Sarah, um, Sarah Ludwig. I'm actually a therapist as well um, who practices EMDR. So I get to have the really, really awesome perspective of being a client and being a therapist, which I think makes it so much more powerful to be able to provide a modality to somebody that you know works because as therapists, we're very much trained to not make promises. Um, you know, that everything will be okay is something you can't tell people. Um, but with EMDR, um, there's such an evidence base for it. And it's such an incredible healing modality that I can say that um, from the lens of a client as well. Um, so, so yeah, so, so what's really great is being a client of therapy and also being a provider in EMDR, I was able to realize when I needed EMDR. Um, And I originally entered EMDR as a client due to really, really significant issues of postpartum depression and anxiety and surgery issues. I had an unplanned C-section, things that I didn't expect to go through. It wasn't my plan. Had a baby during COVID and was, you know, wild enough to be willing to do it again. Um, So I knew that I needed to do um, something to kind of get myself unstuck. So I would be able to go through the process of giving birth and, you know, potentially having another surgery again. Um, One of the outcomes of EMDR is feeling like really heavy stuff that's happened in your life is approachable. Um, In EMDR, what what seeks to, to be done is to go back to older memories that start the negative cognitions that you have about yourself. So one of the ones I had for the postpartum trauma was I can't handle it. Um, So we went back to earlier memories there and I ended up even addressing um, a suicide of an uncle of mine that was like a father that I never ever thought I'd be doing in EMDR, especially um, because I went for postpartum related issues. Um, But it happened to be the earliest memory that I felt like I couldn't handle it. he died when I was eight and I'm in my early thirties now and I just couldn't go there. I couldn't go back. I I had this imagery of what I thought that it looked like and um, a lot of traumatic thoughts and and feelings that I had about it. And now I can go back to it. Do I want to go back to it? No. Um, Do I do it for fun? No, but I can turn the television on and see something and not be triggered. Um, 
not that I enjoy watching violence on television, but I can tolerate it without thinking of my uncle's death. Um, it just feels, it feels approachable for me. I'm now trying to have my second child too. And I am, I don't know if I'll ever be excited about doing the whole process again, but I can do it. Um, so I've had a lot of really major shifts with it and I just love the modality so much. And, um, you know, I, I think being a client in this therapy has just made it, I mean, this is, it's just wonderful. Wow. So what I'm hearing you say is that initially you experienced postpartum depression symptoms and it was difficult for you. So you went in for EMDR to help you kind of get through that and yes. you uncovered and you discovered through that, that there was some un, um, some other things that needed to be resolved and that were not, that were, that needed to be looked at and specifically your uncle's um, suicide that affected you more than you actually realized. I just curious, oh, did you yeah. actually witness that? Did you hear about it? Was it something that you had actually um, seen or was it just something that you were told about? I'm curious how much of an impact it had on so, you. Yeah, that's a great question. So I thought that, and, and, and you're right, no, no plans to ever do therapy on this never thought this was something that I would ever even, it wasn't approachable. It wasn't approachable. Um, so whenever it occurred, like I said, very close, close with this, um, with my uncle, very much like a father figure that we were told the next morning that he had an accident while cleaning his gun. So I was a little kid and I didn't really know. My sister was a bit older than me at the time. And I think she knew what was going on, but I was like a little kid. Um, so I ended up, you know, going, going to a family member's house and just being like really, really, you know, taking in the sensory information, which is what gets us stuck and seeing my family all being there and very sad and being very angry. And then also, um, you know, getting older and putting the pieces together. And it's almost as though I envisioned every moment of what that was like when he took his life, what the room must have looked like afterwards, you know, um, just all of this imagery would come back to me too of watching shows. It's like, you can't avoid seeing gunshots on television as much as I try to avoid it um, because I try not to consume that kind of stuff, especially with the nature of, you know, being a therapist, you have to have balance. And um, it would just take me right back there. And one of the things that's so neat about EMDR too, is that you can target things like that, that even though I wasn't in the room, I can desensitize that imagery um, to be able to really kind of process through it. And, you know, now I look back on all of the goofy things that he did. You know, we had a jumping couch that was just designated for jumping and being wild. Um, that instead of picturing his brain on the wall, because that's something that came up for me was pictures of that in my mind. You know, I go back to all of the silly, crazy, stupid things that, you know, we did together. And I never thought that I would have had that kind of feeling. Wow. Do you mind sharing um, how many sessions it took for you to gain that kind of um, clarity or, you know, that kind of unstuckness, if you might? Yeah. You know, Here's how long it took. I believe that. So like I was saying, we we ended up you know, so whenever you go and you set up the EMDR, you're looking at the first, worst, and most recent memories related to a negative cognition. So like I mentioned, it was the I can't handle it for the surgery that I had with the C-section and going back to this earliest memory related to my uncle. So we spent a little time just identifying that, but I want to say with the actual reprocessing, desensitization, and installing the positive belief was one session. Yeah. That's how impactful it was for you. Yes. And I was really upset. Um, <laughs> it's not fun work. Um, I always tell even clients that whenever I'm acting as the provider, like you're, you're probably going to ugly cry and, and, you know, kind of letting it out. Um, and I did and was able to just arrive on it. When you get close to finishing a target in EMDR, it sometimes almost feels like a boring subject. You know, it's like, why am I doing this? How long is this session going to last? I'm getting bored and that's very different than being terrified, being, you know, um, devastated, you know, you just kind of go there to the point that it's done. Delightful. I appreciate your willingness to share with us.
my name is Rose and um, I live in Pennsylvania and I'm a mom of two adult kids and I have a wonderful husband of almost 36 years. Um, I uh, am grateful that I found a therapist who was very compassionate and very skilled in lots of different modalities, um, EMDR being one of them. And um, I found EMDR to be very helpful. I will have to say that I am a highly sensitive person. So, um, you know, I pick up on a lot of energies and things impact me in uh, deeper ways than they do most people. So as we know about trauma, it's not necessarily what happened to me. It's the way um, my nervous system interpreted what happened to me. So um, through our, uh, with a therapist, we built a relationship and then we tried EMDR therapy. And um, what we found is I had had anxiety throughout my life and did a lot of worrying about a lot of things all the time. Um, so we started to identify, I think, what is called targets that are part of EMDR. And we came up with two targets. And with those targets, then we were able to sort of dig deep and find where the, the roots of the targets came from. So um, the two targets that we focused on mostly uh, one is the, that I had some kind of a belief started at a very, very young age where when I worried about people and I prayed for people, that's what kept people safe. And over the years, I had lots of examples <laughs> that I could cite <laughs> where if I wasn't worrying, that's when sort of bad things happened to people that I really cared a lot about. Um, my mother suffered from a chronic illness where every night of my entire childhood, childhood, and for most of my life, she would wake in the middle of the night, um, unable to breathe. She had a very uh, severe asthmatic condition. And as a result, uh, kids are very, you know, kids magically think. So what that sort of translated or, or what we sort of figured out was that translated to me from little Rose to Rose throughout my life, that it was, you know, I would worry about my mother and I would pray for her and she would come out of her asthmatic episode. So with magical thinking, I put two and two together <laughs> and came up with the belief that my worrying is what keeps people safe and my praying is what keeps people safe. So that was the one we worked on that trigger. And then the other one was also um, just not being enough, uh, really feeling like I really had to do and not just be. So as a result, it was difficult for me to set boundaries and take care of myself because I felt like people loved me for all the ways that I made them feel loved and took care of them. So that often resulted in poor boundaries and um, not taking very good care of myself. And the thing about my kind of anxiety is when it would be triggered, not only would my emotional state or my psychological state be dysregulated with my nervous system, I would also have physical kinds of reactions. Like I'd be upset in the stomach and those kind of things. So it would make very difficult for me to set a boundary um, or put myself above other people. So I'm not sure how it works, but we did six or eight, I forget, sessions of EMDR. And somehow that sort of connection was disconnected. So now I don't get, I still, you know, I have to really be intentional about self-care and reminding myself of all those kinds of things. But when I need to set a boundary or I need to put myself first, um, I don't pick up on the energy of the other folks. I still pick up the, on the energy of the folks who would really appreciate that I'm attending to their needs instead, but I don't get that physical upset along with sort of the emotional reaction. So I'm able to... Um, really, um, you know, articulate my own needs and understand what's happening when I'm being triggered and practice really good self-care. So I'm grateful I had had other kinds of therapies throughout my life. Um, for me, EMDR, EMDR was really the only thing that moved the needle where I really saw a significant difference. And, you know, it can be a multitude of things. I'm in my fifties now. So you know, age certainly brings wisdom with it. <laughs> um, but I definitely saw a real connection between the EMDR therapy. As I said, my therapist was extremely compassionate and extremely skilled. 
Um, so we really spent time getting to know each other and, you know, her knowing my history and things and knowing me as a person. And then we went into the EMDR therapy and uh, it worked for me. I'm not saying it worked for everyone, but it definitely worked for me. And you had success just after six or eight sessions. Right. Mm-hmm. Wow. And how far apart were each of these sessions? Um, I would say for a while I was going weekly. And then uh, the EMDR sessions were probably every other week, I would say. And then I think I've only gone back one time since then when I was really feeling triggered because there was a lot of, uh, I was experiencing a lot of change in my life from a lot of different, different aspects. And we just revisited. We didn't even need to do another session of EMDR. We just sort of had to really uh, revisit and talk about things and and then, you know. Wow. That's so helpful. Thank you so much for being comfortable to share that with us. I'm sure somebody will find that insightful and will be helpful for them in their own journey of healing. So- Sharon, if you could start off by telling us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what your training is, what your qualifications are with regard specifically to EMDR. Okay, first of all, thank you so much for the opportunity. I really am grateful. Um, So um, I've been a licensed psychologist since 1977. So I've been a practicing therapist um, in private practice for a long, long time. I, I don't even think that CBT, which was all the rage, was part of my training in the ancient days, Um, but certainly all of the different talk therapies. And then I learned hypnotherapy and used that for a while. Um, And I was getting to the point, perhaps it was nine years ago, maybe a little less than nine years ago, um, that I was beginning to feel burnt out, but um, not ready to retire, but wondering how I was going to keep going. And um, I had to get continuing education credits to renew my license, which you have to do every few years. And I got a notice at my office, trauma-informed work and trauma competency skills. And that was something I hadn't had any training about. So I said, oh, good, something that I have to take that I don't know anything about. So it was a two-day thing. And the first day was um, the education about the neurology and the nature of trauma. Um, And the second day, she talked about the variety of different neurologically informed treatments. EMDR was her specialty. And so she focused on that, um, probably primarily. And um, she said toward the end of the morning, After the lunch break, I'd like to do a demo. I think it'd be a great way for everybody to learn. Anybody who wants to volunteer, um, come up and I'll screen you. So I usually sit near the front. It helps me not space out. And I went straight up to her and I said, me. So she screened me. She said, well, do you have um, a history of lots of trauma? I said, thank God, no. Okay, what is it that you've got to work on? And I said, well, just a few months ago, I lost both of my parents. 10 weeks apart and I've got some stuck stuff about that and I've not been sleeping so well and not just not feels like a little bit more than just playing the grief process and then she said do you have self-soothing techniques yes I know clinical hypnosis and I practice it on myself and then she asked me oddly do you have a spiritual tradition so I said well as a matter of fact I'm a Hasidic Jew she said you're perfect so in the afternoon um the first thing I was the subject for EMDR. And when it was all over, I said, that's really weird. And mind you, there are 300 people in the room. I don't care. It wasn't that personal, really. And um, she said, well, what's weird? And I said, well, the facts haven't changed, but I feel in my body differently about it. She said, bingo, that's EMDR. So after the afternoon training, I went up to her. I said, do you teach this? So she said, I was thinking about it. Um, And I said, please, here's my contact information, but could you please not make it over my Sabbath? 
And she had been married one time to a Jewish man, so she knew something about it. And she said, no problem. To make a long story short, it was probably then, this past March would have been eight years that I began my EMDR training. And um, I then came back to my office and decided I would choose some of my most long-standing clients who I'd been working with with all the good techniques um, to be my guinea pig. And I, I warned them, just learned it. I'm just learning. And there was one guy in particular, I probably had been working with 20 years, 20 years, doing lots of good stuff. And he kept coming back. And, but even though he was putting together all the right connections cognitively, understanding things with great insight, it wasn't getting him unstuck from behavior and triggers and being, um, you know, locked in patterns that he couldn't unstick from. So he was a good sport. I was at that point reading the scripts because I didn't have it as integrated as obviously it is when you use it a lot. And it began to make an unbelievable difference. Even to the point where his daughter, who was a young adult at the time, said, who are you? You've become the father I've always needed. And this was a daughter who herself had had issues from his issues. And she said, you, you've become the father I've always needed. You're accessible, you're available, you don't do spin on me. Um, so that was my first like, wow, this, this stuff actually does work for folks. Um, because I've been, um, a therapist for so long, people come to me at the age and stage that I am in my career and expect me to be an expert. So I've really done the deep dive. Um, the first thing is you pass your basic training and 10 hours of, of consultation. Then you take additional courses, have X number of uh, 20 hours more of consultation and you need to see 50 clients for EMDR for at least 25 different clients. And then you can apply for certifications. I did that as quickly as I could. The next step was to be a consultant in training for other therapists who are learning it. And then I arrived at full consultant, which is my status with uh, um, MDRIA, which is the international organization. Um, so am I as expert as the wonderful woman who taught me, Jamie Marich? Probably not, <laughs> but I, I, you know, that's why they call it practice, and uh, right, and it's 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 been a game changer. Remember, I mentioned that I was all burnt out and wondering how I'd continue. It's like I have a new career, and I have a lot of energy. I'm 70 now. I really am not even fantasizing about retiring, because the work is so impactful. Beautiful. Can you tell us EMDR for those of us who know nothing about it? What does it stand for? Um, give us a brief overview. What actually is it? Okay. Let me drop back a minute and explain like the, my third grade neurological understanding of the neurology of trauma. And then I'll be able to explain how EMDR helps with this. Okay. Just about all of us have had an experience that has shocked us or deeply upset us. And we felt that activation in our body, the fight, flight, freeze experience. It, it, everybody's had that kind of experience. What's going on at that time in your brain is that the activation shifts from your wise mind. Generally, the overview um, part of the brain is called the prefrontal cortex. And that's the part of the brain that us adults should be functioning from the lion's share of the time, we think and we contemplate, we problem solve, we make ethical decisions. That's the place where we direct our kavana. When the altar of talked about that's the moach part of our brain. But it's slow in reacting to an emergency. So when you're mind gets the message, danger, danger, doesn't have to be physical danger, of course. Then the prefrontal cortex goes almost completely offline. 
all that's left is kind of an observing part, but it can't log an opinion because it's too slow. And they know from brain scans when these kinds of things are tested that the activation is in the limbic brain. It's very nice for fast solutions in a blink, um, but it's not a place where memory was really designed to be held. So when a trauma, an emotional trauma, a physical trauma, but when mostly when an emotional trauma happens, we've got visual memory and body memory and auditory memory. And usually also the negative thing we tell ourselves at the time it's happening. It could be, I'm gonna die. It could be, I'm trapped. It, I mean, those kinds of things, there's, there's a long list of possibilities. If shortly after your trauma, you had a chance to process it in an adaptive way, talk to yourself positively about it, um, be able to just frame the experience in a way that is a good adaptive positive resolution, then the trauma doesn't get stuck. But if that doesn't happen within usually two, maximum three months, then the memory becomes consolidated and stuck and held in this emotional part of the brain. So unless a therapy is a kind of a therapy that addresses that part of the brain, you can have all the insights you want. You can have a logical way of talking to yourself about it. It's still activatable and stuck there. So EMDR is, as far as I know, the oldest of all the neurologically informed modern treatment therapies. It was um, serendipitously, or by Ishkacha Pratis, we would say, discovered by a Jewish woman who was a last year doctoral student in uh, clinical psychology in California. She was also um, a cancer survivor at the time. And she was taking a walk in the park and she discovered that she was thinking about things that were distressing her. And she noticed that when her eyes moved to one side and another, as she was thinking about it, it seemed to drain the experience from her body. So as a PhD student, she grabbed colleagues and practiced it. It's gone through many incarnations um, over the course of years and refinement and lots of research because this woman, she passed about three years ago, ultimately did succumb from trauma. But Francine Shapiro um, was insistent that people do research. Okay, our anecdotal experiences, it works. The clients tell us it works, but let's research it. And there's bodies and years now of evidence that it works. It's the one I learned. I've learned some about some of the others, internal family systems and um, some of the others having a senior moment, not remembering, but- Out of healing. Um, yeah. Um, yes. Sensory motor. Right. Right. Um, what links them all together is that they take into consideration and deal with that limbic part of the brain. Now, EMDR in particular, the, it's called, well, EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Because initially Francine believed that it was all in following somebody's fingers or a light bar one way and the other with your eyes while you were um, focusing on the trauma and noticing mindfully what happens. We now know that um, eye movements is not the only way. Um, bilateral stimulation of the body either by self-tapping or I've got this gizmo in the office that alternately vibrates that that's evidence-based to be as effective as eye movements. And there are some other alternatives too. The idea is as best, the theory is, 
because the brain, only Abister understands the brain. But the current theory is that when you bilaterally, one side and the other, stimulate the body and therefore the brain, it does several things to help change and morph the nature of the memory. It, there is uh, an anatomical structure between that wise mind, the prefrontal cortex and the limbic brain, literally an anatomical structure called the neurofiber bridge that does carry information back and forth between those two brain sections. When there's been trauma, that bridge didn't get bridged if the memory is stuck in the limbic brain and did not get adaptively processed. So the theory is that the bilateral stimulation along with a particular protocol of bringing up the memory, what's the memory? What's the image of the worst part? What do you believe about yourself when you look at this memory and the worst part? What would you rather believe? What's your gut level sense now as you look back on this memory of how true that positive belief is, one not at all true, seven totally true. And what emotions come up as you're looking at this memory and the image of the worst part? Get those list of those memories. How would you rate your degree of distress, disturbance at this moment as you look back on the memory? Zero, none, no disturbance, 10 worst imaginable. And where do you notice that in your body? Putting together your body sensations and emotions, the image and the memory of the worst part, and your negative belief of whatever it is, Notice whatever you notice as I begin the bilateral stimulation, go with that. And the expression go with that just means be in the moment of just noticing what happens. It's the experience of the client if they can let themselves go there. Some people are so stuck in their brain they have a hard time going with it. That's part of the challenge of my teaching somebody how to be an EMDR client. It's kind of like dominoes fall. The experience changes and morphs. Sometimes they were, often they reported first more and more and more distress as the, almost the video of the experience becomes a little clearer. And I often daven and wait for the tipping point where I begin to hear adaptive things. Um, and that could take lots of different forms. It can be that an individual target can give way at the end of an hour session so that it's completely reprocessed. The original negative belief is no longer true and a new positive belief comes to replace it that feels totally true. And the body activation is down to zero as they look back on that memory. And this can happen in one hour session or does this take many sessions to acquire so, such a accomplishment? Um, I'm gonna give you the famous answer when I assist in trainings. It depends. I had a full complete reprocessing that day in the demo, but it had been a slice of an experience. And I hadn't had a whole history of trauma and I had tons of adaptive information and I didn't have floods of negative beliefs or feelings about myself. So I was the perfect person to be a demo because it was a, a slice of a particular memory with one negative belief connected to it. And it was able to successfully reprocess and never hiccup on me after that. Um, so if somebody walks in the door with a recent incident and it was a single incident trauma, it doesn't walk in my door all that often, then you could, it, it could be one and done after a person is prepared for and taught how to be an EMDR client. So I very rarely, somebody very rarely walks in the door and I, you know, 
hello, goodbye, what's your trauma, let's do it. Important so what I'm hearing you say is, is that if a person has um, a low level of trauma and a high level of awareness and is open and doesn't have that many negative um, beliefs around themselves or the experience, it's easier to see results. Yes. Now, having said that, a lot of the people that I see have very complex traumas, like childhoods that you can't even believe parents would do this to children. Um, and those people have complex PTSD. And we're going to be peeling back the layers of the artichoke for years. But that doesn't mean that we can't set up a particular target from a particular memory and do a slice of that in one target. And part of the skill of EMDR is getting the target right. And in a session, you can clear that slice. Now that same memory, I sometimes call memories like that, the gift that keeps on giving, could have five different negative beliefs about self, five different aspects that could represent that's five different targets. It could be five sessions. Um, if a client doesn't clear in three sessions, then I begin to look for what's blocking it. There could be another target that's blocking it. There could be blocking beliefs, like I can't show my emotions or um, I don't deserve to heal. So it's part of the detective work and the skill of EMDR to figure out why even after three tries at a particular target, it's not clearing. It's very common, even with people with complex PTSD, to be able to clear a target in at least a couple of sessions. But you could have many, many targets, depending upon the, the nature of your trauma and how much resilience you've got and what you've got going for you. Obviously, nothing has 100% success rate, right? Can you share any challenges or difficulties that may come up for somebody who's working with an EMDR therapist? Um, sure. The more complex in early childhood the trauma, the more there could be, is likely to be, a high degree of dissociation. Let me define that for people who don't know. We all dissociate. So dissociation could be you're on a highway drive and you're daydreaming or listening to something on, on a podcast and you don't even really fully see where you are, but you are seeing where you are because you're driving. And then all of a sudden you come to and go, oh my gosh, thank God, there's my exit. Well, part of your consciousness was aware of it, but a lot of you was dissociated. Daydreaming is dissociation, and who doesn't do that? Um, dissociation can also happen in the immediate aftermath of a trauma. I can remember when my across-the-street neighbor had a fire. It was an Arab Shabbos. I was going to walk to the store for a couple more things. I'm walking down my driveway. I look across the street, and her whole dining room window was ablaze with fire. I was dissociated in the <gasps> of it all immediately. And it took me a couple hours to feel in my body again. I fairly right away found that everybody was out of the house. The fire department was on their way, um, uh, that everybody was safe, which was the most important thing. Um, and the house was able to be recovered, took a year. But in that couple hours, I was in a state of dissociation because in that millisecond, um, it was too much. Dissociation is really a favor that our brain does to be able to help us manage what would otherwise be flooding and too much. Well, what if that happens from the time you're really, really young and unspeakable horrors happen to you from the time you're Oh, say an infant, I'm thinking about my last client today. And um, you can develop a dissociative disorder. In its extreme is the one that's now called dissociative identity disorder, 
used to be called multiple personality. Well, that's challenging. You've got to work with all the various parts. You've got to keep the various parts safe. All the parts have got to agree to let you work on it. Uh, so it's, um, it's extremely delicate and tedious work. Um, and it takes a lot of courage for that person to take risks. So we go very slowly with little bits of slices. Um, and not everybody can go there. So I work at resourcing skills and stabilization and as much as I can. It's important before you start to work with somebody who's got a lot of complex trauma to spend a long time relationship building and history taking and teaching and having them use, installing neurologically soothing techniques to help people regulate their emotions and be able to better deal with stronger emotions. And then even in the course of the EMDR, when I know it's gonna be grisly, I will use distancing techniques. Imagine that you're sitting in a big theater and the memory's projected on the screen and you can control it, you can make it smaller, you can make it quieter to distance yourself from experiencing it. I spend a lot of time making sure that people are really firmly grounded in the now as they look back. And that's part of the skill of an EMDR therapist to when, when you're working with somebody who's got a lot of complexity, you do uh, take a lot of precautions and it's important to get the advanced training in de dealing with dissociation. That's so it almost, it almost sounds like what you're saying is, is that you give them tools of how to dissociate properly. It's like, before they may have been doing that, you know, to survive. And now you're saying, well, do it in little, little bits. And like, you can, you can control what you're seeing and how loud it is and how loud the memory is, but you are the one that's in the driver's seat, making sure that they're grounded, making sure that they're, 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 they feel safe in their body or in the experience. So it almost sounds like it's a combination. But it's not quite dissociation. It's the way to not have to dissociate because you get flooded. Okay. It's the way to modulate your experience of your emotions, of your intense emotions, to keep it within your window of tolerance. That's big in any form of neurologically informed trauma therapy. The therapist needs to guarantee that you're keeping the client within their window of tolerance. One of the ways that gets done is you practice mindful breath and use it when like life's little adversities happen. You have a, an imaginary calm place. You learn a container, an imaginal container where things get too big. And this is dissociation on purpose. You compartmentalize it until the next time it's time to use it. And many, many, many other kinds of skills, how to reground and keep yourself in your body when I start to work with somebody and I've taken the history and I know this is gonna be a lot, I might spend months making sure that they're using these skills as life's little adversities happen on them so that they and I feel certain that they can use them if need be to stay modulated while the session is going on, if they need to take a break and reground, if they need to stop for that day, so that's part of my ethical responsibility to be doing that. And then I had mentioned um, you do sets. Now I say go with that. A person just notices as the bilateral stimulation is happening, eh, maybe 30 seconds, could be longer. The more you work with somebody, the more you know how long they can tolerate a set. And then I stop the stimulation and I say, take a good breath which is already neurologically modulating and their breathing puts them in their body in the now what are you noticing now they report the last thing they noticed before i stopped the stimulation okay good go with that 
so that with this pausing and when somebody's got a lot of dis dissociation, you keep the sets short so they keep getting regrounded. And then the, the person's experience is not one that is flooding. And I watch very carefully if I'm a little concerned that they're getting to the edge of their window of tolerance, I'll ask, are you okay to continue? I count on the person being honest with me. And I always say, please don't just tell me what you want me to hear because that's not going to work for either of us. Right. We set up a stop sign signal. And all of those kinds of things are part of keeping the person within the window of tolerance so that they can get to the adaptive response and not have it be additionally traumatizing. So just because somebody says they know how to do EMDR doesn't mean they know how to do EMDR. Somebody once reached out to me for consultation um, and I said, tell me about your training. I read the book. I said, you can't do EMDR by just reading the book. You need a training, you need consultation. Well, I'm calling you now for a consultation. I said, I'm sorry, I can't offer you consultation. It's not ethical what you're doing, but he's doing it. And then there are people who um, are less experienced and aren't getting the consultation and they cannot keep the client as safe as they need to. So if, if somebody comes to me and says, you know, hello, you're my friend or something. Can you recommend somebody? I'll say, I'll either I'll recommend somebody I know, but if it's somebody calling from out of state, I'll say, look on the Emdria website under the find a therapist option, read profiles, see what you like, make sure that they're certified. Because can you do MD, um, EMDR before you're certified? Sure. But because there are a lot of hoops to jump and people have to send letters in for you, you're more guaranteed that the person knows what they're doing and people have vetted them. That's an important piece. Yeah. Can you explain a little bit about the eye motion part with the fingers and following sure. the lights? How does that work for those of us that never experienced EMDR? Okay. So once we've juiced the target, as I was describing before, and I say go with that. If I'm using eye movements, um, I will have them follow something with their eyes back and forth. Um, I found out very quickly that if I spent hours on end moving my fingers back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, I was going to really injure my shoulder and my elbow. But I didn't want to spend almost $300 on a light bar that, that was going to take up space in my office. These are the little ones. I've got larger xylophone sticks in my office. And uh, so the end of the xylophone, xylophone stick was just plain wood and I got acrylic paints and had an art, arts and crafts project. And they follow that back and forth. When I say go with that, they follow it and notice what's going on in their experience. Then I'll pause it, take a deep breath. Okay, what are you noticing now? Okay, go with that. And I start the eye movements again. And you say go with that. You said go with that. What do you, what do you mean by that? What, is that? what does that mean? What does it look like to go with that? Our therapist says go with that. That means just notice. Letting whatever comes up, come up. Just notice the process that's unfolding as they're noticing their experience. Obviously, people have had experience with mindfulness, mindful breath. People who've done yoga, who've processed this, know something more about what I'm talking about. Um, and um, But the idea is try to stay in the mindful noticing of whatever you're noticing. It could be noticing what's going on in your body. It could be noticing what emotions are coming up. It could be noticing a different aspect of the experience. It could be noticing that something's changing about what you're noticing about yourself in the experience. I worked with a 
um, a young graduate student who had had a violation by her roommate's boyfriend who had barged into the room and, and she had gone amnesic for it for quite some time and then began to have some flashbacks. I, I'm no longer remembering the details. So at first she was noticing more and more pieces of the experience. It was kind of like a zoom out. And she said, I couldn't have stopped him. He was huge. He had me pinned down. Go with that. I was screaming for help. Nobody heard me. Go with that. It was beginning to get more and more adaptive. So it's as things come up, report, go with that. Part of the reason you also check in is to make sure that they're not stuck. Looping in EMDR language is defined as you check in, they say something. You check in a second time, they say the same thing or essentially the same thing. You check in the third time, they're saying something. And that's the art of the interweave. And the therapist then says something, offers something that's designed to be a plunger to get the process moving again. So this is why you can't just read a book because there's so much skill involved. Sounds like it. Yeah. Would you be open to sharing a success story or two that you have seen firsthand yeah. in your work? Well, I could continue talking about this young woman. Okay. She had, I am to blame. I should have done something. I'm permanently damaged. Um, maybe one or two others. I can't stand up for myself. We did many slices because same memory, but each of those negative beliefs about herself was a different reprocessing. She was, she was easy. She was able to go there right away and, and she reprocessed quite quickly. Different people have different reprocessing speeds. It's nothing right or wrong. It just is. Um, and in one or two sessions, each of those targets got cleared. And she had otherwise had lovely family life. It was, it was the main horrible thing in her life. Um, and by the time we went through all the different targets, she was able to look back on that very grisly memory and go, that was a lousy memory. That was an awful thing that happened to me. And it's over and I'm fine. So she came in the next session. We were going to evaluate whether there was anything else for her to work on. And she said, I had the biggest victory. This crazy thing happened to me. I was going to pick up my friend on campus in my car. And my friend was walking down the steps from the school building. And this creep came out of nowhere and started putting his hands all over her. In the past, I would have so gone into freeze and dissociated. In a blink, I jumped out of the car. I threw something at him. I screamed, you leave her alone. And he ran away. And I was fine. And I stood up for her. And I'm fine. And I had no flashbacks. I had no nightmares. So I told her to, you know, stay in touch if, if she needed anything more. Maybe six months later, she messaged me. She said, I really should just message and let you know I'm still fine. So that was a beautiful success story. Um, I've worked with much more complex people where I've had to work with parts and get the parts working harmoniously together so that they don't constantly hijack you and you could with that kind of situation find yourself someplace and not even know how you got there um and so um i'm thinking about one particular woman who we're still working but she no longer gets hijacked and you know a part 
can uh, tap her on her shoulder, she says, and say, hey, grown up, <laughs> I, I, something's upsetting me. I'm remembering something or that thing that happened upset me. And could you please bring it into therapy and clear it for me? And then we do EMDR and that, that part says, thank you very much. And she's learned to say, you got it. I'm writing it down. I won't forget. Will you please wait in your nice place? Because I we create calm places for farts. And and let, let me go about my life until I go in. And, you know, I'm thinking that we only have a few months more to go. And I've been working with her a little over a year. She had lots of strengths in her life in addition to the things that happened. But the dissociation had gotten so bad, she had a couple of hospitalizations and you know, some so psychosis that can go along with high degrees of trauma. So that's the big Baruch Hashem. It's, it's huge. Yeah. What is the most um, rewarding part of working with clients through this modality of EMDR? As sharply contrasted with everything I did with folks before, you can see a metamorphosis when a target is cleared. That somebody goes from a horrible memory that would make anybody feel PTSD. And by the end of a successful reprocessing of that target, that memory, it, it was like I said at that demo, that's crazy. The facts haven't changed, but I feel differently about it. Your body no longer reacts to the trauma. It no longer is a grisly, hot charged activation, activated memory. And the new positive belief that comes to replace the old negative belief is solid and feels totally true. There's another woman I work with successfully she actually had taken the EMDR training and realized, ooh, I think I have trauma. She had been sexually abused by a stepfather. Now, the good news is she told her mother, her mother believed her. But meanwhile, until she worked up the courage to tell her mother, it had been months. And she was happily married to a wonderful man and a few kids and a psychotherapy practice and now learning to do EMDR. And she realized, whenever I'm with my husband, I'm not with my husband, I'm not there. Said, That's not fair. That guy doesn't have the right to rob me of my intimate life with my husband. So we probably did two months and there were lots of slices, lots of parts. There were also parts because she actually, you know, charged him and she had to testify and it was awful. So lots of slices of memories connected to it. And then she reported to me, this was, we had our real success just before Pesach. It's like the sea split for, for her. And she said, I was with my husband for real for the first time in all our married life. Um, so we had like a follow-up just to make sure it stuck. She said, yeah, it, it's, it's, she's, I know you're there. Thank you very much. I'll reach out. I for sure promise I will reach out, but now I just want to live inside of myself, enjoying the gift of the life I've got. So that's really powerful there. to be able to, to do that. It's so interesting in contrast to the years that you were practicing other modalities, perhaps CBT or whatever other um, hypnosis you mentioned, you mentioned, um, and now you see you're seeing results. Yes. As before, it was like years and years of talk therapy. Now you're seeing people actually walking away with actual change in their life. Yes. And when I did hypnotherapy, it worked for a while. But the problem was I was offering the post-hypnotic suggestion for the resolution. It wasn't coming from within the person's own brain to come up with the adaptive resolution themselves. So as an EMDR therapist, a new EMDR therapist, the hardest thing is to shut your mouth and stay out of the way. Uh, there's a, another woman as a colleague of mine 
who said that she learned from another senior colleague she, to put a, a, a note up, W-A-Y-T, why are you talking? Be quiet, stay out of the way, trust the process, only say something when you need an interweave. Otherwise, take a breath. What are you noticing? Go with that. And That's so fascinating because as a coach, one of the things that we're trained in is specifically that idea that you're not the expert that's there to tell people what to do. You're there to help people become aware of what it is that they're, they're, they may be missing, but it's inside of them. And by asking good questions, you get them to think and asking them what they need mm -hmm. helps them come to that real awareness. And it's way more powerful than if somebody tells you what to do, if you figure out what you need to do. Right. Similar now, in that idea. Coaching, you're working with a great wise mind, the prefrontal cortex. Right. You're right. helping them use that in their bet to their best benefit. But when there's trauma, it's 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 a waste of time. It, it's the other part of the brain. Yeah. And that's immediately as a coach, it's really very imperative to notice that and to right away say, well, you're dealing with a trauma here and that requires trauma therapy. Very important, yes. Um, if you had to sum up EMDR in one line or a phrase, what would that be? It is a therapy that enables people to take a memory that's stuck and maladaptively stored in the limbic brain and enables it to be released from the limbic brain, stored then in the memory of the prefrontal cortex, the wise mind, and reprocessed in an adaptive way that gives the individual freedom from that trauma. Not a phrase or a line, but I hear that. It's a little bit more complex <laughs> to put it into one line. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, let I'm me sorry. ask you, that's okay, no, that's fine question are do you are you seeing clients now are you taking on new clients do you have a website a practice are you busy are you full and not taking on new clients okay the first thing that i want to say is i'm licensed in the state of pennsylvania okay there are a lot of people who don't obey that and take people wherever especially now one of the gifts of covid is you can see people and do emdr therapy remotely um so the first thing is I won't. You and I will have to make some kind of special arrangement if, if uh, you know, you're right. curious about it and want to experience it. Um, so if anybody's listening and they're from out of state, uh, I'm sorry, the most that I might be able to do is help connect you if I have any connections with good people I know wherever you happen to be listening. Um, Pennsylvania is a big state itself. Do you do Zoom? Do you yeah. offer EMDR through Zoom if somebody is from the state of Pennsylvania? Yes. As a matter of fact, the woman with the dissociating with her husband was from a different part of the state. She on, on purpose didn't want to work with anybody in her city, right? You want to be more anonymous. So, um, yeah. Um, do I have time? Um, barely. Right. I, 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 I'm seeing 40 people a week. I'm a great grandmother now. So <laughs> my head examined to be working this much. Every once in a while, I'll take a from client. I'll find a way to work them in, especially if somebody reaches out to me and I feel like um, it won't put me over because I don't do anybody any favors. Right. So, um, right. How, having said that, there are a lot of really quality, well-trained EMDR therapists. And by the way, the therapist really does not need to be from or Jewish to do this because they're not adding their own stuff. You know, other kinds of therapy that could be important. But the therapist's values or their religious perspectives are, are not in this at all. So it would be better for somebody to see a highly trained, not Jewish or not from um, therapist who's highly trained than somebody who's from and just read the book. 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so that opens up um, many more possibilities to find good therapists. Well, obviously reading a book is not the the therapist that we're looking for with regard yeah, to that, EMDR. That, that was like, oh my gosh, I can't even believe it. Yes. Like, well, that, yes. that doesn't happen too often. Well, I think it, no, not at all, but I think it's important to say that in general with regards to all modalities and all different therapists, it's important to really be aware of what their experiences are and if they're vetted and how and how people are appreciating them, like, you know, what's the feedback that people are getting about them? Because I think that's an important piece. And though some people may love a therapist and really connect and somebody else, it may not be a fit for them because we're all different human beings. So it's important to keep that in mind as well. I look at therapy and my small experience with therapy and say, it's like a should I was going to use that word. Yep. Yeah. It's really like a should finding the right fit. And it's for each person can be very different and unique. And that's the beauty. There's so many different modalities. Finding the one that you need and the one that works for you is so imperative and so important. Yes. So I just want to thank you again for your time. And um, this has been so informative and so helpful. And um, is there anything else that you want to share before we sign off? Well, there's a rabbi who I'm blanking on his name. I'm so sorry, but okay. he, he works in big groups and, and trauma release. Somebody had sent me a piece of something where he said, EMDR is from the Baal Shem Tov. So I messaged him and I said, ha, huh, what? Um, and I said, where'd you get that? He sent me a couple of lines from the Baal Shem Tov. I think it would take me too long to find it. So I'll paraphrase it. If someone is finding themselves blocked in their connection with Hashem and their avodas Hashem. They should meditate and have their eyes move back and forth and the release will come. So again, I'm paraphrasing it, but whoa. So really, although EMDR first was developed in the late 80s, early 90s, it goes back to the best. And isn't that cool? That is very cool. Back to the best. I like how you said that. Best, best. That was very good. Well, that's very, very, that's great. I like that. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. It was wonderful to, to talk with you and speak with you and um, wishing you a wonderful Shabbos. Thank you. You as well. Bye. Bye bye. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it and learned as much as I did. I'm sure that many of you have questions or feedback to share on this podcast, and I'd love to hear it. So please feel free to reach out through my website, apositivecoach.com, or on Instagram at apositivecoach. And if you'd like to not miss any of the upcoming episodes, hit the subscribe button, and it will let you know when new shows are released. If you could take a moment to leave a rating or a review, it would mean a lot to me, and it would help others to find our podcast easier. So thank you so much for being here, and I'm wishing you a positive day.